Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Bless your heart. Okay, I am going to be talking a little bit about how Jesus frees us to be more real, more authentic. Uh, when we become Christians, the goal is for you to become more confident in the unique expression of humanity that God intended for you. And that includes both your strengths and your weaknesses, the areas where you thrive and the areas where you wither. All of the above. God called you to represent him in the unique skin that you wear. And in this, Jesus liberates us. And this has powerful dimensions for our sexuality, for that part of our lives that has to do with connecting, that has to do with not only wanting union with the living God, which is, of course, the focus of this one thing, but also my yearning for connection with you, my desire to close the gap between me and you, and, and the intellectual and emotional and physical dimensions of that. It's very difficult to be authentic about who you are as a sexual being if in the totality of your being you're shameful and stammering and insecure and self-conscious. One of the goals of Jesus plunging into our lives is to retrieve the real person. And to free that person with decency and with modesty, but with authenticity to represent him and who you are to one another, who you are to the people in your prayer group, who you are to your family of origin, who you are to your local church. You don't represent him well when you hide or veil or deceive based upon your strengths and your weaknesses. But when Jesus retrieves us, when we finally give him access, when we allow his love to set us free, to be known both in shadows and in light, in strengths and in weaknesses, in successes and in failures, then there's something about him that's manifest to the world and to the church to your unique expression of the body of Christ. I love the way C.S. Lewis describes the incarnation. He describes Jesus as the great diver of the deep. And he describes him as stripping off garment after garment, becoming naked, then flashing for a moment in the air, and then going down through the green and warm and sunlit water into the pitch black cold freezing water, down into the mud and the slime, then up again, his lungs almost bursting, breaking out again into the green and warm and sunlit water, then out into the sunshine, holding in his hand the very thing he went down to get. And the very thing that he went down to get into the mud and the slime and the conflict and the shame and the uncertainty and, and, and the self-consciousness is you. That's what he reclaimed. And his ascension, his resurrection is to enable you to rise with him as you are. 
and just say, Lord, thank you that there's been a rising. Thank you that what you have done makes a substantial difference and somehow frees me to come forth with who I am. All of my desires laid bare. All of my longings. All of my frustrations. All of my uncertainty about how I live and walk this out one with another. With this desire that I have for this guy or this girl or that worship leader or, you know, all the swoony harp and bowl stuff, you know, longing for Jesus and then sort of longing for the people on the worship team, you know what I mean? And it's like, Lord, help me to work this out. It's true. Now, I've been here at IHOP two years. Love it. Love all of it. Love one thing, nine things. Love it all. I really do. But man, you get a room full, a tight room full of young people at the at the peak of their sexuality with very fragile identities. For the first time away from home, uncertain, how do I do this? Free, glad to be away from the A of G youth group, whatever. Finally with these intense group of people going for it and feeling a lot of stuff for each other. How do I work this out? How do I be a forerunner? How do I, how do I be like John the Baptist going forward in unfettered focus on the Lord and yet work out the other aspects of my heart, which have to do with longing, has to do with closing some gaps, dealing with my human aloneness. This is part of our redemption. This is what Jesus frees us to face and work out loving him and loving one another. Really crucial. I love what Paul says so powerfully to the Corinthians who were like yourself, like myself, so broken, product of such an idolatrous culture. To the church at Corinth, there was the church, this new straggly group of people, and there was a big shiny mega temple down the way, which was all about worshiping idols through having sex with temple prostitutes. That's what they did. It wasn't seedy. It was the religion of the day. It was culturally normal for them to do that. And so they were becoming Christians. And what what Paul said to them, inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is so powerful, uh, is... You know, you used to worship over there in that temple and your own temples had been defiled by it. But now that you're worshiping the one thing, now that you're worshiping Jesus Christ, I want you to know you've been bought with a price. The great diver has gone a long distance to lay claim to you. And if you've agreed with him and said yes to him, then that reclamation is true. And in that, Paul says, Now glorify God in your body. Glorify Him. What Jesus becoming flesh means is that we have a Savior and a best friend and a powerful God that is now freeing us to make peace with our bodies. That's what it means. That's what the incarnation means. God took on a body to reconcile us to our bodies. Not to cause us to get rid of them. Not to cause us to hate our longings for love. Not to cause us to hide when we're in conflict with an idolatrous world. 
wanting it, not wanting it, wanting Jesus, ashamed of, of loving him because we know what we're doing on the sly. Jesus, in taking on a body, says, I'm reconciling you to that and I am going to enable you to glorify me in your body. That means that Jesus reconciles us to our sexuality. He doesn't cause us to rise up and get bigger and stronger to kill it. And that's how some of us have been living. We think the best thing I could do is to be free of it altogether. Take it all away. My body has been nothing but a curse to me. My desires are only frustrated, precipitating, only rejection, only impurity, only confusion. I don't want it. God will not answer your prayer. Because there's something inherently good at the core of that longing. It's one of the most powerful and passionate and creative parts of your humanity. It is not your flesh. It is not the devil. It is not your enemy. It is a troublesome friend. Okay, it's troublesome. I'm looking at the outline going, what? We could call this workshop the troublesome friend. (laughs) That it is. And the only way you can deal with a troublesome friend is by saying, it's here. It's not going away. I got to make peace with him or her with it. I got to deal with them. May need some boundaries. May need some healing may need some clarifying, but it's a good gift. It's a good friend. And God in his mercy wants to reconcile that to us. This has deep meaning for myself, for my wife, for most of the people on this front row. (laughs) We'll be taking a group shot after this. I think they're all going, I've heard this before. Uh, But basically, we all come out of brokenness. I come out of homosexuality. I became a Christian while I was in the midst of the homosexual lifestyle. That's where God got me. That's where I was swimming, and that's where the great diver dove in. He wasn't afraid to. He just plunged in and said, I want you. I want you. I want you out of this. I'm going to help you, and I'm going to enable you to be reconciled to that good aspect of you that's, that's underneath all the distortion, all the perversion. My wife, sexual abuse victim, had, had good reason to consider her sexuality a curse because it seemed like a magnet for bigger people misusing their power. God reclaims that in us. Those of you who are aware that you've made some really bad choices Maybe with boyfriends, with girlfriends on the Internet, you're aware that in your heart of hearts, this is the area perhaps most profound, most in shame. God wants to reconcile that to you. And the way that he reconciles it to you is by enabling you to see it as a troublesome friend and then looking him straight in the eyes and saying, God, this is where I need your redemption. This is where I need to discover your broken body. This is where I need to discover your blood. This is where I need to discover people that can represent you, the body of Christ, 
that can really help me make peace with this. And not just make peace with the friend, but then get about the business of what your sexuality is about. And that is forming good relationships with people. And realizing in your prayer ministries and in your churches and so on, that God wants to provide for you good gifts emotionally, physically. And I don't mean erotically, but I mean just the presence of people that God uses to close the gap as you're learning how to rightfully trust and rely upon one another. Those are all components of your sexuality. We reduce it to a sexual act. Is it any wonder that we don't know what we're doing by the time we actually get there to being able to do the act in marriage? Our sexuality is about so much more. It's about learning how to trust and learning how to reveal ourselves and learning how to rightfully need people and to give language to our aloneness and then to offer ourselves as a gift to others and maybe in time to one in particular, taking the risk that he or she may not receive the gift. But you're still under the divine command to walk and work it out. And the more devoted you could become to Jesus Christ, the more clearly he will identify that in you. He will not take it away. But in the light of his love and in the power of your formation as a being healed man or woman, he'll say, now go offer yourself, reveal your heart, make known your need, give of yourself, avail yourself. These are all important and powerful expressions of what it means to be reconciled to who we are as sexual beings. We have to do battle over Gnosticism and precisely because of the idolatry, precisely because of the the megachurch temple (laughs) that I described that the Corinthians were dealing with. We have them everywhere. I don't mean megachurches per se. I just mean we are a crass commercial, idolatrous culture. We're weaned on it. We, we, we wake up. We emerge from the womb. And we're presented with images and idols of male and female and romance that, that creates distorted hungers and, and creates self-rejecting ideas where we don't measure up and all of that garbage. It's woven into the very fabric of our American humanity. We don't even realize it. But it's inherently fallen and frustrating and it distorts the good of this gift. And so what we then do when we become serious Christians is we actually become Gnostic. And by that I mean we split off from our sexuality and we say that's the flesh, that's all bad, that's wrong. I'm going to be a spirit being I'll leave, I'm, you know, part of, you know, surrendering all is surrendering my sexuality. Now I'm going on to Jesus. That's actually a heresy. It's called Gnosticism. The early church was rife with it. And guess what happened? Guess what was the effect of Gnosticism? People began living two lives. They began saying, well, when I come to church and when I come into the prayer room and when I'm, when I'm on the worship team, I'm really good and pure and it's the highest and best part of myself. And then when I go away from it, I go into the dark zone. And they kind of don't even meet. They're just two different things. 
The one is flesh and evil and ugly. The other is high and pure and true. So many of us live like that. Ted Haggard lived like that, didn't he? Paul Barnes lived like that. All the megachurch pastors and leaders that we've so sadly seen, they all bought that lie. In their own way, they were all Gnostic. Jesus in his mercy wants to set us free from even the beginnings of Gnosticism and to say, God, I want to be unified. (laughs) I want to be one, body, soul, and spirit. I want the full work of reconciliation in this member, in this temple. I want to be united with you in my affection for you and in my affection for other people. I don't want it split off and hidden, becoming this monstrous thing. I want to tame the fleshly monstrous parts, and I want you to reclaim what's real and good and true. And I want it to become a gift for others. Amen? That's the vision we have to have. It's a high view of the troublesome friend. Paul compels us to live as children of light. Really, even if you're virginal, God bless you if you are. I'm so grateful that you're pure and true. But you know what? We're all products of an idolatrous culture. So in that way, we're all fallen, aren't we? Even if you didn't come out of homosexuality or promiscuity or, you know, that's so great. But you, you still have idolatrous fabric in your being. Amen? <laughs> I love it. I mean, if we would just accept it, it would be so much easier. I mean, it's like, you know what? Really, it's true for all of us. So Paul says to us, he says, you were once darkness, meaning you were once of that idolatrous culture. You didn't know any better. But now you are children of the light. So live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. So let's look a little bit at what pleases the Lord. What is pleasing to him in our sexuality? What can we take and say, God, this pleases you. I'm going to take this and I'm going to do battle against thoughts or other people's thoughts to the contrary. First of all, we have to make peace with our desire to not be alone. Adam, pre-fallen Adam, was blessed with a yearning to not be alone. He had unfettered access to the creator. No sin, no frustration, full access. And God said, it's not good for you to be alone. You need another. You got to work it out with other human beings, pal. Love you. Got to work it out with other people. Unfallen. Not a concession to darkness, to loneliness, to this, to that. Just you weren't created to do this on your own. So that frees us to say, Lord, help me to make peace with that desire for connection with others. Now, desires can be high and desires can be low. Desires can cause us to aspire to high things, can cause us to be the most noble of lovers without thoughts of ourselves, only thinking of the beloved. And desires can reduce us to rats on a wheel, right? And you know what? The word in Scripture in the New Testament for desire, epithumius, can mean both. It can mean a high and holy desire for connection. It said that Jesus had epithumius for his disciples. He wanted to have communion with them. 
It talks about a longing in Jesus for communion. Paul in 1 Thessalonians talks about a longing to be with the Thessalonians. It's a good and holy and true longing for fellowship. And it's the same word that James uses when he talks about ungodly lust. So what really makes the difference is, God, am I before you and before trusted people in my desires? We all have a range of them. Some are noble and some very ignoble. And it's very important that we begin a dialogue with God and with others as to the full gamut. Where you say, God, I think that's a good desire. I long for communion with him or her or them. Is that good? <laughs> like, is this good? Is this okay? And then there are others where we think, oh my gosh, that's an indication that something is wrong. That there's something a little bit off. It's a little tweaked. But you know what? You can't really help whether you have the desire or not. All you can do is submit it to the light and say, as a child of light, as one who really does have a a true authority in Jesus Christ, you can say, God, all my desires are open before you. Inform this one. Shed light on it. What happens when we're uncertain about certain feelings that we have, especially about other people and longing and love and attraction and infatuation, we're, we're afraid of it. We don't like it. It makes us vulnerable. So, so we don't submit it. We don't bring it out. We just sort of let it rattle around in us and often to our own detriment, drawing our own misbegotten conclusions. So what, what truly being a worshiper of Jesus Christ and truly being Uh, a son and daughter of the living God means is that we live as creatures whose desires are all open before him. And we develop one or two or three relationships with really trusted people where we're willing to begin to share some of them and to say, this is what's going on in my heart. This is what's happening. Is it, you know, what do you think? You know, should, should I feed this? Should I kind of examine it? How, how do I interpret this? Help me out here. You know, we've all heard terrible and unsettling things from people who have not been in the light and who all of a sudden have begun to baptize their desires as if they're from God. And you think, that's not from God. <laughs> like, that's your own broken, curdled little heart. And you think, why didn't you just talk about it? Why didn't you just say to someone, was there no one growing up? Was there no one in your youth group? Was there no one in your prayer room with whom you could just say, hey, you know what? I'm I'm all over this in my thoughts. I'm just I can't stop even fantasizing. What's that about? You know, and then they come back with some grand pronouncement and they're leaving their marriage or they're leaving the ministry or they're doing something that is clearly not even true in Scripture. But. Somehow their heart's been taken. And you think, wow, Lord, help us to to live truly as if our desires were all open before you, because they actually are, according to the psalmist. So let's learn how to live like that, to be more open, not with everybody, but with God. And also because we can be blind in our spirituality, can't we? In our devotional lives, we often don't 
hear everything from God about our blind spots, do we? Right? I have tremendous ones. And the only way that I know them is by bumping into people who dare to tell the truth and say, wow, you are so off. (laughs) You know what? If it's a blind spot, guess what? You're not going to hear it from God in your prayer closet, probably, because you're not listening. You got spiritual wax in your ears. Honestly, I mean, that's the nature of a blind spot, isn't it? Like we're really being presumptuous to think that if I'm wrong, that I'm just just in quiet, I'm going to hear it all from God. I might hear some things, but it's going to be a combination of revealed truth, of community, of listening to him, becoming aware of the truthful flaw, and then engaging with others meaningfully and saying, God, shore me up here. Really, help me out. I'm a little weak here. Obviously, no shame. It's protection. It's wisdom. It's freedom. So we worship him in spirit and in truth. And then the revealed word manifests something really important to us about our humanity. And that is that your humanity as male, as female, is high. It's high in God's eyes. You might think, ah, look at this, whatever. Not so hot. I just can't wait till I'm free of it or free of it on this plane. No. God says, I called you to manifest me in that body. If you're a woman, as a woman. If you're a man, as a man. There's something high about our gender. There's something noble about who you are as a gender person. Really. The unique way in which you manifest God in your gender. It's not an accident. It's not a curse. It's not illegitimate. It's a true and important part of your identity. And God in his mercy calls us into working that out one to another, male and female, discovering I only can really know who I am as a man in relationship to a woman. As an adult male, the refining and the building and the activating of my masculinity is going to have something to do about my being in right relationship with a woman. If I'm only working that out with men, I'm not going to get the whole image. Not going to get what it means to be an image bearer. That's powerfully as male and as female. That's not only about marriage, but it's about making a commitment to working it out man to woman and saying, I've got to learn to work this out. And so much of what we've learned growing up is segregate the sexes, you know, segregate them. Get them away from each other. You know, men want one thing. You know, girls are this, men are that. All these terrible, dishonoring things as if we can't possibly have a meaningful friendship without falling into the most degrading expressions of fornication. Isn't that true? It's like, you shouldn't be alone. It's like, really? Like... Really, I'm okay. I mean, really, I'm not a dog. I bear the image of God. I'm not a dog. Really. I'm truly male and female. So gender, high view. We need to have a high view of what it means to be man and woman. And the unique way that you, that you bear that. It's unique very unique the way you bear it. It's not like her or like him. 
but it, it has something about God's plan for you, your gender. And also sex. Good sex. God has in mind for many of us to experience good sex. Okay. Some are a little more motivated. Yeah, someday. But, but, no, and this is a good thing. This is a good thing. It's so important. It's so powerful. I mean, it has the power to create life. Honestly, it has the power to, to, to determine a new life. It, it has power to seal this togetherness with this other human being in a way that will be with you all the days of your life. The imprint of sexual union is, is with you this side of heaven. It, the, the, the heart doesn't erase it. It's that powerful. So it's potent, isn't it? And it's meant to be passionate and earthy and fiery and wonderful. The only way it can be that is within boundaries, obviously. When you've really developed the internal muscle to work it out with your clothes on. When you've really, and some of us, that's, that's like a new idea. I mean, for some of you, it's like, duh, I've been hearing that in my youth group since I was two. But for some of us... We come in on a wing and a prayer. We come in like wearing like nothing but a tiny little windbreaker. No boundaries, in other words. We kind of get saved. We come lurching into the fellowship. And it's like, okay, so when do you have sex, you know? (laughs) And people are like, no. It's different here. And it should be different, shouldn't it? Really, of course it should be. Which means that you learn how to right, you know, rightfully cloak yourself, contain yourself, and at the same time, use the sources that you have. Use your, use your voice. Be aware of your heart. Give language to what's going on. Dare to be known by other people. Dare to break the silence. Stop complaining that, well, no one dates here. No one dates in this stupid church. No one does. Well, then you date. <laughs> then you do something. Then you take action. You activate. You know, you position yourself and just say, I really want to get to know you. No, I don't want to bear your child. No, I don't want to sire your child. No, I don't want to talk about a wedding. I just want to know you. Who are you? Who are you? I know you in the spirit. Are you a human being too? Really, what are your longings? What's the range of your humanity? I want to know that. Really, men and women both can initiate this. It's not the little coquettish woman waiting for the big night to come in. Really, is it? It's not you being the little, you know, passive creature. It's like saying, come on, grow up. Let's engage. I want to know him and I want to know you, you know. And so we respect the boundaries. We keep our clothes on. We work it out. We determine if there's anything going on and we take it a next step. And if we do it in a righteous way, then it leaves a good mark, doesn't it? 
It doesn't, even if it doesn't become anything, it's like, Lord, but thank you. We really, we, we discovered more about who we were in you, in our connection. And that's a noble thing. And yeah, one person may be a little frustrated or hurt that it didn't become more. But you know what? That's life. And better to taste some life than to sit back in self-protection, licking your wounds, being defined by your rejections. Rather than saying, you know what? I'm created for more. And you may not want the gift that I am, but someone does. Okay, that could be another title. Someone does. Okay, the goal of all of this, the goal of it all, all these great feelings, this longing to break out of yourself, to present yourself to another, to be known, the good physical feelings, the longings, like, man, it's hot in here, you know? What? No, you know what I mean? It's like, wow, I'm, I'm aroused. I'm attracted. This person turns me on. Okay, next. Okay. Okay. No, it's true. The goal of all of that, the goal of feeling it, the goal of acting on it, is not to have a baby the goal is to learn how to give yourself. It's to learn, this, to develop a backbone of mature self-giving, uh, really of a kind of sacrificial love. And really, I went through so much healing before I started dating this wonderful woman who became my wife. But my challenge, honestly, was not same-sex attraction per se, though I had to deal with that and so on long before I got married. But the bigger thing for me was really giving myself. At which point it wasn't an attraction issue. It was really more, am I going to offer myself more fully? Am I going to really take the risk of throwing in my hat with another human being? There was a way in which my singleness was protective. Even though I was lonely, there was something about it that was protective, that was free of the messy variables of relying upon another human being. And so this to me was the greater challenge. Would I offer myself? Would I give myself again and again and again and again? Not just in a one-shot mission thing, little task for Jesus that you then pull back on and you're alone again. But would I give myself to this one? That was my challenge. And I think at a deeper level, that was the fear. That was the fear. Can I do it? Can I pull it off? Could I not commit adultery? Would I have the emotional substance? Would we be able to make it work over the long haul? Those were the challenges. But it wasn't choosing to do it and, and really being captivated by her, but doubting myself. It was in choosing to do that in fear and trembling and saying, yes, Lord, I love you. And I love her. And I believe that you can enable me, your strength at work in my weakness, to enable me to love her in a way that honors her as a woman. And I've been able to do it, you know, 25 years later. Not because I'm so great. Or not because 
I have the inner healing that you never had. All of those things were wonderful. But because of the faithfulness of Jesus and my being faithful to his word, when he said, it was, it's not good for you to be alone. And in spite of your brokenness, in the full light of your brokenness, and all of your conflicts and all of the things that I'm helping you to work out, I am redeeming you to make you a good gift for another human being. So being reconciled to the good of that is part of what God has in store for us. Now, in order for us to really know this and to really live in it and, and to have, have life in it, we really do need help. I mean, we need the strength of our Father and we need the tenderness of the Father because in our brokenness, we can do damage to other people, can't we? Honestly, even by withholding ourselves, we can do some damage. Have you ever thought of that? If I'm all contained and fearful and cut off, then I'm not manifesting Jesus to that group of people. There's a way in which the group is not as rich in my fear and withholding. If I don't have any boundaries and I'm acting that out on other people and I'm being seductive and confusing and strange, if I'm misinterpreting my same-sex attraction and I'm forming strange, dependent relationships with members of my own gender and I'm not even aware of what I'm doing, then that can cause some damage. And so in the light of this, we need the Father who is at once strong in love and also very tender with us. And we need Jesus himself to give us the freedom in his love to give these things to him, to begin to find language for our conflicts and barriers and fears and to begin to dialogue with him at that level. And we need other people in our churches, in our prayer ministries, we need to look at the Ted Haggard situation and say, God, please, please, please let this not happen where I gather, where we seek to represent you in our city, Lord. Let this not happen. And you know how it's going to not happen? It's going to be through you and your friends getting real now. Not climbing to the top in your spiritual gifts. Not saying, oh, forget about that conflictual stuff. I'm just going for Jesus. And by the way, I don't really want to talk about it anyway. So my denial comes in real handy. Because I don't want any of you to know about it anyway. Because it makes me and you uncomfortable. So in this, let's start telling the truth now. I don't mean from the podium. I don't mean you don't have to come up here and confess it, but to those two or three people, start telling the truth now. Start laying your desires out now. God can honor that. If, if Haggard and his Bible college had had that as foundational to the core curriculum, this wouldn't have happened. Believe me, it wouldn't have happened. It was too big of a paradigm shift for a leader of that size. Let's start making a difference now in whatever realm of influence we have. Amen? Let's stand. We're going to take, I'm just going to pray for you for two or three minutes, and then we're going to take a little break. Okay, thank you.
just so that you know, this is part one and part two. So I am doing the second half of this after a short break. That wasn't in the, in the bulletin. It was supposed to be. But this is part one and part two. So I'm not repeating this next time. I'm going into deeper waters. So I would encourage you to stay. Father, we thank you that you dove in. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our desires. They are ever before you. You know our longings. You know our yearnings. You know the ways that they are satisfied. And you know the ways that they are frustrated. And so great diver of the deep, we invite you to plunge in. We ask that you would go into the deeper waters of our lives. Lord, we ask that the deep wells that we want to pray out, the deeper well of intercession that we want you to dig in us. Lord, we ask that the whole of that well, the height and breadth and width and depth of that well that possess all of our longings, all of the ways that those yearnings are satisfied and frustrated. We want to bring them before you this afternoon. Lord, we believe your word. We know that you already know what they are. But we want to begin to engage with you. We want to begin a dialogue with you at the level of these desires. We want to begin to be discipled by you in the area of our sexual yearning. We want to begin to know you there, oh God, confident that you will not shame us. And anything that you reveal is only to heal us. God, I ask that you would give us the courage to volitionally choose to expose our hearts to one another lest we be exposed. Lord, we ask for the courage to do this. And Lord, I want to pray for that minority in this group who are really losing heart because of frustrated, difficult desires. Lord, in the power of Your resurrection, we declare that there is more. Lord, where we have made a wrongful agreement that our condition is hopeless. We break that lie in Jesus' name. We say that we have not yet probed the depths of Your wisdom and compassion. The depths of what Your body, the church, can provide for us. Lord, where we have been disillusioned, even scattered by the failure of leaders, by misbegotten counsel, by secrets that were not kept. Lord, for the ways in which the church taught us how not to share, how to mistrust, we ask for healing. We ask, Holy Spirit of God, that You would invite these ones back into the mercy pool. Invite them back into that place where You are to be found. The place of healing. The place of of healthy exposure.
where, where, the, where the severity of the wound can be acknowledged. Where the depth of the conflict can be known and loved. Where the all-surpassing power of your love can be known to us in the areas where we're so locked up, so tight, so frightened, so self-protective. Love us into freedom, Father. Help us, O God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.